0: Hello and welcome to another episode, episode 15 of the Craft Beer Talk Show. I'm your host, Matt Sausch. If you haven't stopped by before, welcome. This is a show where we talk about history of beer, craft beer in general, of course, and whatever else really comes to mind. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. This week, we're talking about a brewery that uh, I was at a little while ago, probably almost a year now. And Ever since I started this thing, uh, I wanted to talk about them primarily because I was told a pretty interesting and and cool fact about the place when I was there. and I'll share that with you later on uh, with the other history and whatnot about the brewery. Last week, we talked about the McKinnon Brothers and we tried um, a few of their beers. Uh, If you have not listened to that episode, go check it out, but asides from the breweries, we'll be talking about... Uh, kind of a variety of things today, not one thing in particular, but about 10 different things actually. Uh, on the show, I like to talk about beer history. Um, as I mentioned in my little intro before, and if you tuned in before, you would you would definitely know that. But I usually do the history lesson on a specific style of beer. You know, we talked about IPAs and where they come from, uh, ales. Uh, I talked about porters, etc. But today's style is a style that we've we've tried before and we'll try many times again so I couldn't necessarily talk about its its history. You can probably guess maybe what we're going to talk about. Uh, maybe not or you know if you read the, the description then yeah, you probably already know. But instead, we are going to chat about beer history itself in general. Uh, I'm going to share with you 10 or so, I'm not actually sure how many there are, um, facts about beer history. There might be things you knew, or maybe all of them you didn't know, but hopefully you learned something cool about the, the history of beer. And maybe you can use them, uh, this new uh, found knowledge you'll gain, to impress people uh, in conversation. Or maybe you're you're one of those guys who've been uh, searching for that way to get the uh, the beer snob designation from your friends. This might be uh, a surefire way, how? But maybe not. So use them wisely. All right. So the facts themselves, I don't. They like they're not my facts. I didn't uh, necessarily put them down here. Um, just off the top of my head, I had to do uh, a little bit of research. Um, the facts that I, I gathered. I did know quite a few, but there were still some that I didn't, um, and as you know, I always enjoy learning something new, um, or honestly, some of them I, I expanded my knowledge of, so that was kind of uh, fun to go through. So let's start diving into them. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how long this will take. It might end up being a shorter episode, maybe even a longer episode, but I'm sure we could buzz through this. Um, so number one, basically has to do with like the origins in a way, and there's... There's a couple that are similar facts, um, sort of like timelines of when beer was in different regions, but the first one is that beer dates back to ancient Mesopotamia, which is around 3500 to 3100 BC uh, in what is today's Iran. Supposedly, it played a large dietary role um, as the beer was actually safer to drink than water because of the boiling process um, in the brewing process, it eliminated a lot of those microorganisms that were in the water um, and that it actually had nutrients that other drinks didn't. So for those people who, who say, you know, beer is unhealthy for you, I think there's a lot of other facts. are not in this about how beer is good for you. Sure, overconsumption, you know, everything in moderation is, is the way to go. But you may want to throw this one in their face. So number two, uh, brewing was a religious practice. Uh, related to the Sumerian um, goddess, Ninkasi. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. So Ninkasi was the, the goddess of beer. And there's actually a song called, uh, or I don't know if it's necessarily a song, but it's called Hymn to Ninkasi, uh, which I guess it's, it's a worship song or whatever you want to call it. They, they, some people call it a beer recipe. Um, it was passed down through generations upon generations. Uh, the lyrics are actually quite long. Uh, I can read a few of them. Um, Although they they may not make much sense. I'll post the full lyrics on my uh, Instagram page in the stories. I'll also try to find a picture or I guess drawing um, of Ninkasi. And you guys can take a look at that. So here's the first few lyrics. Born of the flowing water. Tenderly cared for by the Ninhursag. Born of the flowing water. Tenderly cared... I don't even know if I'm saying this twice or how this went. I just kind of took the lyrics and put it in, but tenderly cared for by the Ninhursag. Having founded your town by the sacred lake, she finished its great walls for you. Ninkasi. having founded your town by the sacred lake, she finished its walls for you. Wow, that is so beautiful. I must, It must just be like repeating itself. I must have not put it in here twice unless I really screwed this up but those are the first few lyrics um, it's much longer than that and it goes on to say other things about um, you know the relation to Mikasi. the whole you know beer brewing process this and that um, but that's fact number two let's move on to fact number three this particular tool uh, was invented by Sumerians and it was used by Sumerians uh, and Babylonians and Egyptians to make sure they wouldn't drink any sediment from the bottom of their cup. Can you guess can you guess what it is? Take a second, try to guess what it is. It's a straw. And they were made out of reeds, gold depending on one's social class, but it's almost hard to believe that this is where the straw came from. Now, when I read these facts, obviously I just it's like a little subtitle and then a little expert excerpt of of information and that's kind of really all it said it didn't necessarily give any other um, origins to the straw it just says that this is what the straws were used for by Sumerians and um, and this is why so it might not necessarily been for beer in particular but supposedly the tool was created by Sumerians and as I said uh, earlier um, you know Babylonians Egyptians these all um, are, are back in um, to the origins of beer itself, so it makes sense. Um, Number four, so beer has uh, existed in China for about 5,000 years. Now, I don't think that's actually necessarily as old as ancient Mesopotamia, but I'm just trying to do the quick math in my head, but uh, close to it, uh, it's kind of hard to believe that beer has been around for that long considering. Here in Canada, uh, I'm sure, you know, beer, I'll kind of actually talk about this more in, a, in another fact, uh, which is actually more of an opinion, but um, beer probably didn't get here until 18th, 17th century, maybe, the very, very first settlers obviously would have brought it over from um, Europe, but um, anyways, this, this ancient Chinese beer is um, it had these ingredients ingredients in it: uh, broomcorn millet, barley, obviously, um, a kind of grain that was called jobs tears, and something called tubers. Uh, so very interesting stuff. Maybe we will uh, will will find a, a Chinese um, style beer. Uh, hopefully, maybe a craft brewery from somewhere in Canada does it and uh, we can talk about that and then maybe they use some of these ingredients you you never know so now this is the next fact that I was talking about in terms of uh, settlement in our country so a scientific American quoted Charlie Bamforth which is Anheuser-Busch endowed professor of brewing science at the University of California Um, he says beer is the basis of modern static civilization and believes that the discovery of bread and beer enticed early nomadic humans to settle, um, eventually, if indirectly, leading to the development of whole societies. And supposedly this uh, certain opinion has been amplified by others and people really believe it. Um, And if you think about it, it almost makes sense. Bread is, you know, back then was a staple. For for living, basically for eating, and even today, bread is served to you um, when you sit down at a table at a restaurant. There's always bread when you're maybe having a meal at home with your family. The bread and butter is out, and you're 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 going at that. Whereas beer, I guess it's nowadays more of like I mean b- people drink a crap ton of beer, but it's, I don't necessarily see the relation in bread. But maybe back then, beer was uh, you know one of the most common beverages when you're sitting down at the table obviously now you have like water uh that's what they serve to you but I guess back in the day when there uh, weren't any drinking ages or legal drinking ages or anything like that beer would just be you know served up like no tomorrow and it's it's apparently brought people together and they've they've wanted to colonize so pretty cool opinion I'm gonna say that I agree with it just because I support everything um, that is beer. So next fact, this is a fact that I think maybe a lot of people know, but maybe I'm completely wrong. So in the form of a question, I'll say, who do we have to thank for the more refined brewing processes of today? So those would be the ancient monks. Um, obviously, the monks of, of Belgium have been you know put upon a pedestal for their famous... Um, notoriously good uh, beer. And a lot of uh, major breweries and old breweries uh, such as White Hand Stefan and like they, they come from these monastic origins. And it's an interesting thought because I think people, when they think of monks, you know, I think they, they probably, I don't know, think of a lot of praying, a lot of solidarity. Um, they definitely don't think of beer. And I guess Beer was one of their their ways to to um, experiment um, and refine you know the the process. I guess it was um, in the church uh, was a major site of study, and uh, they are even uh, known to be the the reason for uh, hops. The addition of hops as a preservative. Um, so so the next fact uh, actually is pretty interesting because now that I think of it, I'm reading it on the screen here. This is one particular style. We might have talked about it here and there, but I've never really, I think, dove down into its history and origins, and that is lager. And the cold climates of modern day Germany and Czech Republic gave the Western world its beloved lagers. Uh, I've mentioned probably before that lager means to store um, in German, and the German brewers actually began... Uh, storing their beers in the icy caves of the the Alps. And they accidentally began uh, culturing this bottom fermenting yeast rather than the, the top fermenting yeast, which are more susceptible to, to damage from hot weather. Um, this, according to uh, Beer Hunter, the, the lager style of beer was born. Um, and that's really cool. Now, I'll have to dive in to an episode. Uh, there's a lot of lagers, obviously, I have the Craft Beer Talk Show Introduction to Craft Beer uh, Choice of the Year Award, which almost exclusively is is all around lagers, pilsners, uh, etc. But I'll definitely have to dive in uh, to an episode because a lot a common question I get is, you know, what's the difference between a lager and an ale? Basically the two main styles of beer. So I'll have to do a whole episode just on that question because it's very interesting and I think it's something that gives you a better understanding of what beer you like and how to pick your beer when at the store. Um, with all this being said in fact number seven, fact number eight says that new research shows there might have been a different ancestor for lagers. And that is the South American region of Patagonia. So supposedly this this strain of bottom fermenting yeast um, is traced to Patagonia where, according to the Smithsonian Magazine, um, people were using it to brew alcoholic beverages 200 or more years before the first Bavarian lagers. Uh, The details, I guess, are unclear, um, but the researchers think the yeast may have traveled across the ocean on wood, like ship timbers or even animals. So, very interesting, because obviously when you think of lagers, and I just said, you know, lager is the German word to store. Um, we give such credit to the, the Germans and the Czechs, um, but supposedly the South American country where you almost you don't think too much about a whole beer continent um, is, is responsible for these yeasts. Obviously, the, the Germans use these yeasts to make the beer, um, but apparently so the, the were the Patagonians. But um, let's move on to the next one. That is the about the Guinness Brewery of St. James Gate. So this one, I'll, I'll just buzz through this one. Uh, it's not necessarily all that great of a fact. It's about the brewery. I think a lot of people try that. I've never been there uh, myself. I know it's the number one thing to do or one of the number one things to do when you are in Ireland, Dublin to be specific. But when they first opened it. Um, Basically, they, they signed a, a lease. They opened in 1759. Arthur Guinness signs a 9,000-year lease uh, for the space that would be and, and still is uh, the Guinness Brewery. Um, the lease today is no longer in effect. Guinness actually owns that building. It's theirs, so there's no need to pay rent. But 9,000 years. Uh, I don't even want to know if you have to pay anything up front for that. But uh, that is quite um, quite the contract. Lastly, uh, I left this one to last because I think people, um, specifically people maybe that listen to the show, depending on how knowledgeable they are on, uh, on what uh, countries and, and continents drink a lot of beer, but that basically, that is the fact. Who, uh, what country drinks the most beer? And I think a lot of people would think it's Canadians or maybe even Americans, but that's wrong. The answer is actually people from Czech Republic. Czech Republic consumes the most beer uh, per annum. Canada is actually ranked 17th. Um, I don't have the full list, but that's a lot of countries to be beat out on. And I think Canada actually does uh, a pretty fair share of drinking beer. Um, so that's all the facts. Uh, that didn't take too long. Uh, I thought there were actually more, um, but there aren't. I just kind of briefly went through it. But you know what? We'll do this from time to time uh, because I did come across a lot of, of, of beer facts. Uh, I just selected certain ones to be in this episode, but we'll do that a little bit more often. Maybe I will do an episode of just Canadian beer facts or maybe even um, if I get any requests for uh, country beer facts. But I'll put all these facts kind of in a little thing, and I'll post it over the weekend. And you can review everything that was in there. So maybe you can jot them down and memorize them, practice them for the next time you're going to a brewery or a tasting or something and to impress people. But let's move on to the brewery portion of the episode. So Signal Brewery. Um, I'm pretty pumped about this one. It's a pretty good story. Uh, they're from a town called Corbyville, Ontario now this town um, has a lot to do with what makes this brewery very cool and I always mention you know the website for these breweries and, and most, most of them do a great job telling their story this one in particular is very specific with the list of events that transpired up until Signal uh, took over so in a way kind of a long story um, but I actually really like that and I'll talk more about their website at the end when uh, reminding you to go check them out But uh, here goes the story. The patriarch of the town, Henry Corby, uh, he was a baker. Supposedly a damn good baker, too. Uh, In the early 1830s, he moved to Belleville, where he would open up a bakery, which was a huge success. Then, in 1837, dark days would come upon Henry. After the 1837 Rebellion war, he lost his wife, Alma, and two out of three children. Could you imagine that? That's just terrible. So was forced to sell his bakery and he bought a St. Lawrence steam liner. Uh, he worked as a grain merchant for four years and he traveled between Belleville and Kingston. So, they're not too far from each other. I think Belleville is in the Ottawa area. so probably like two, three hours max from each other. Um, due to his involvement in the grain industry, Henry then bought a grist mill in what now is called Corbyville. So farmers would bring in their grain to, Cor- uh, to Henry, and it would be ground into meal. And a lot of it was reserved for making whiskey, which is pretty, which is pretty cool. Um, this sparked Henry's interest in making whiskey himself, and he was soon making it for for locals to consume. So by 1859, uh, the distillery was uh, a company, which was uh, you know. Basically, him selling his own whiskey, turned it into a a company, incorporated it, and he named it Alma Mills, which was after his uh, lost beloved wife. He then went on into politics and became the mayor of Corbyville, which is obviously very fitting for him. His son took over the business, and invested in it majorly with uh, a retail store opening in in a bottle shop up in Belleville. Basically, business was booming. Then Henry Sr., uh, his health started declining rapidly. Uh, he sold the distillery, the mills, and apparently a wine importing business to his son for $10,000. So Henry Sr. Uh, passes away in, in 1881, but now it was Henry Jr. Um, who, whose business forward thinking modernized the business and helped it attain basically a prominent position in this distilling industry uh, around the world. So now it's 1918, and it's following World War I. uh, Corby's distillery partners with J.P. Weiser's. Uh, It wasn't until 1989, after 132 years in business, that the distillery in Corbyville closed its doors. Um, All maturing whiskey inventory was transferred to the Haram Walker facility, in Windsor, Ontario. So basically, after the war, business was booming, big partnership. Then, you know, unfortunately, around 70 years later, the the business needs to shut down. So the plant was officially closed in 1991. 179 workers were out of a job. And for years, the site had been an employer for hundreds of people, some of them which had multiple family generations working throughout the company. The property was left abandoned for almost 25 years until Signal Brewing began restoring the old buildings and they opened up a craft beer business restaurant and event venue. So how cool is that? They put all that information on their website um, and and basically wrap it up into their uh, almost like heroic sounding um, takeover of the buildings. Very, very cool story. And I also love how everything kind of just revolves Uh, around the distilling and uh, alcohol business. So this is what I like most um, about the brewery, and this is what I was told um, at the uh, brewery when I was there. So as I mentioned before, it was about uh, a year ago, and I was told that no other than Al Capone himself and his friends would drink in that building as they were running whiskey up the river that runs right beside it. Now I did research this, and when researching it, uh, I found um, I couldn't necessarily find any information or proof that Al Capone himself actually drank in that building, or like that his presence was actually there. Uh, but I did find an article that talked about the, the building having connection to Al Capone and his bootlegging business. So the history just just flows out of that place. Um, And there's a lot of cool pictures uh, in the building or even on the website. Right. I mentioned I was going to talk about their website. Tons of cool pictures about the building back in the days. um, You know, when it part with JP Weiser's back when the the origins um, of that Corbyville Distilling uh, Company's um, building. So let's dive in now to which Signal Brewing Company's beer we are going to be tasting. Uh, It's going to be their Wave Pale Ale. So it's a New England style pale ale. Like I mentioned, uh, we're, we've we done this style before, and we're going to do it many times again in the upcoming future. It's uh, 6.1%. Um, it, apparently, it's a beer for all hop lovers, and it delivers all of that complex hop uh, character. But supposedly, it does not have any of the bitterness. Um, I will do more on the beer. I'm going to pour it now, as I usually do, and then we're going to dive into it um, a little bit more and give it a taste so stay with us all right so we've got the beer poured um, wave pale ale super hazy um, honestly a beautiful light kind of peachy orange color uh, in terms of smell they talk a lot uh about pineapple grapefruit and all those citrus uh flavors that you see normally in a pale ale and those are aromatically Predominant. Boom! I can I can smell all of them. Um, honestly, without even putting the beer close to my nose, I can smell all of those aromas just oozing out of this beer. Now, the the interesting thing is, I can't wait to see uh, the the bitterness, the lack thereof, I should say. Um, how they say all of the hop profiles, but. None of the bitterness. Um, so, they're, and they're saying none, not just, you know, a little bit of bitterness. They're literally saying none. So, we're going to try it out. Mm, okay. So, right off the bat, boom, those citrus profiles, they're a major factor here. Um, they're absolutely right. Uh, it's, if anything, extremely juicy. Um, and not a lot of not a lot of bitterness. So of course you're gonna get like beer is bitter, but uh, no, not not a lot of bitterness at all. I, I, they didn't have the IBUs actually listed on um, their website, but I could probably try and do some deep diving to to find it. If I were to guess, probably, no, I couldn't find it. I thought it was going to be on the LCBO website, but I'll have to do more research into um, the IBUs of this beer. So, give it another taste here. Mm, wow, it's really nice. Um, usually, obviously, a pale you're you're expecting that bitterness, that very overpowering bitterness the aftertaste, but you, you don't get that. I do honestly care for that lingering. uh, uh, bitterness. I think I talked about that in the last episode, but this has, has none of that. And, uh, it's really interesting. It's really complex with all those flavors, but it's not bitterness. This is actually uh, very interesting. It's kind of perplexing me because I'm thinking, should I put this beer, is this beer a candidate for the craft beer talk show introduction to craft beer choice of the year award? In a way it is because it's super tropical. Um, And I think people who, like, if you wanted to get into the craft beer scene and you want to kind of like deep dive into it, this would be a super cool beer uh, to get started on because it might even be a gateway to those hoppier, more bitter um, beers. But, and it's even sitting at 6.1%, so it's not necessarily a light beer. Uh, I don't find it too boozy or anything like that. I'm going to give it one last taste. We're going to give it a score. Hmm, I actually really, really like this beer, and I and I think the best part about it not being you know overwhelming with with bitterness is is that you can drink quite a few of these. It's it's pretty crushable, uh, in my opinion, especially for a pale ale. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna give this beer an eight point one. I think it's well deserving of it. I think it's definitely above average, and I think what it's doing in terms of its its whole image and and, uh, and taste profile is is kind of unique for a pale ale. You know, everyone does the same thing and I and I kind of thought that of this beer when you read about the citrus, the grapefruit, the pineapple, whatever, you know, it's it's all the same. But I'm really impressed. And when I saw the none, like no bitterness whatsoever, I I really thought that I was going to be, you know, kind of like, okay, yeah, it's bitter. Like what are you guys trying to, you know, pull the wool under my eyes here? Um I definitely want to try and find uh the IBUs for this beer because it, it's it's really impressive. I mean, then again, like I might I might just be kind of overselling it in terms of it being a beer that's good for people who want to get into craft beer. You know, I might just be like, for me, when I have an IPA or a pale ale, I'm so pumped about that hoppiness, about that bitterness, that maybe I'm kind of um, not necessarily tasting how bitter it would be for someone who didn't care for bitterness at all. Um, But I think I did just find, I guess it's an unofficial um, rating of the IBUs. On this website, it says 55, and that's actually a lot hoppier than... I, I thought it would be, and for when it says, for a beer that says no bitterness, like none of the bitterness, 55, I feel like it's kind of high, I, I was going to, th- I thought maybe like 30, you know, or maybe like even, even 35, um, they make it sound like it's going to have only like 20, like 21 or something like that, but uh, apparently it's got 55, interesting, it's very disguising, so if, if it does have that, that amount of IBUs, they do a damn good job of almost bringing all of those fruity f- flavors in and, and uh, masking it. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of people are, are definitely going to love this beer. So if you haven't had it before, check it out. Signal Brewery. Um, check out their website. Tons of cool pictures. Uh, I got to wrap this up. Um, it's a decent, decent long episode, 30 minutes or so. Um, football starts tonight. I'm going to post a video. Um, it'll be up. I guess tonight is in Thursday because that's when I'm recording. So by the time you're listening to this, you'll already have seen it. Um, it's on my Instagram page, a craft beer talk show. Uh, check it out. You're going to see who I support. And, uh, if you have a favorite team, go to that, go to that, uh, post and comment on your favorite team. Uh, I love talking football with everybody. Got a bunch of fantasy leagues. I got to pay attention to. So that's what I'll be doing all night. Crushing more of these, uh, signal brewery wave pale ales. And, uh, hopefully watching those Kansas City Chiefs get smoked. Maybe that's a little hint of who my favorite team is. But until next time, cheers.